Section 66 of India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fano Jahangiri. The World's Story, Volume 2, India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. Edited by Eva March Tapan. Section 66. The Last King of Persia, 334 B.C. by Plutarch, abridged. In 401 B.C., the brother of the Persian king hired some Greek soldiers to help him seize the kingdom. He and the Greek generals were slain. The men made their way back to Greece and reported that the Persian kingdom was not nearly so strong as had been supposed. These two events encouraged Alexander the Great king of Macedonia, to lead in 334 BC an army into Asia against Persia, the editor. There was at this time in Darius's army a Macedonian refugee named Amintas, one who was pretty well acquainted with Alexander's character. This man, when he saw Darius intended to fall upon the enemy in the passes and defiles, advised him earnestly to keep where he was in the open and extensive plains, it being the advantage of a numerous army to have field room enough when it engages with a lesser force. Darius, instead of taking his counsel, told him he was afraid the enemy would endeavor to run away and so Alexander would escape out of his hands. That fear, replied Amentas, is needless for assure yourself that far from avoiding you, he will make all the speed he can to meet you, and is now most likely on his march toward you. But Amintas's counsel was to no purpose, for Darius immediately, the camping, marched into Cilicia, at the same time that Alexander advanced into Syria to meet him, and missing one another in the night, they both turned back again. Alexander, greatly pleased with the event, made all the haste he could to fight in the defiles, and Darius to recover his former ground and draw his army out of so disadvantageous a place. For now he began to perceive his error in engaging himself too far in a country in which the sea, the mountains, and the river Pinarus, running through the midst of it, would necessitate him to divide his forces, render his horse almost unserviceable, and only cover and support the weakness of the enemy. Fortune was not kinder to Alexander in the choice of the ground than he was careful to improve it to his advantage. For being much inferior in numbers, so far from allowing himself to be outflanked, he stretched his right wing much further out than the left wing of his enemies, and fighting there himself in the very foremost ranks, put the barbarians to flight. In this battle he was wounded in the thigh. Chairs, says, by Darius, with whom he fought hand to hand. But in the account which he gave Antipater of the battle, though indeed he owns he was wounded in the thigh with a sword, though not dangerously, yet he takes no notice who it was that wounded him. Nothing was wanting to complete this victory in which he overthrew above an hundred and ten thousand of his enemies, but the taking the person of Darius, who escaped very narrowly by flight. However, having taken his chariot and his bow, he returned from pursuing him, and 
found his own men busy in pillaging the barbarians' camp, which, though to disburden themselves, they had left much of their baggage at Damascus, was exceedingly rich. But Darius's tent, which was full of splendid furniture and quantities of gold and silver, they reserved for Alexander himself, who, after he had put off his arms, went to bathe himself, saying, Let us now cleanse ourselves from the toils of war in the bath of Darius. Not so, replied one of his followers, but in Alexander's letter, for the property of the conquered is and should be called the conquerors. Here, when he beheld the bathing vessels, the water pots, the pans, and the ointment boxes, all of gold, curiously wrought, and smelt the fragrant odors with which the whole place was exquisitely perfumed, and from thence passed into a pavilion of great size and height, where the couches and tables and preparations for an entertainment were perfectly magnificent he turned to those about him and said this it seems is royalty but as he was going to suffer word was brought him that darius's mother and wife and two unmarried daughters being taken among the rest of the prisoners upon the sight of his chariot and bow were all in mourning and sorrow imagining him to be dead after a little pause more livelily affected with their affliction than with his own success he sent leonatus to them to let them know darius was not dead and that they need not fear any harm from alexander who made war upon him only for dominion they should themselves be provided with everything they had been used to receive from darius this kind message could not but be very welcome to the captive ladies especially being made good by actions no less humane and generous. For he gave them leave to bury whom they pleased of the Persians, and to make use for this purpose of what garments and furniture they thought fit out of the booty. He diminished nothing of their equipage or of the attentions and respect formerly paid them, and allowed larger pensions for their maintenance than they had before. Darius wrote him a letter and sent friends to intercede with him, requesting him to accept as a ransom of his captives the sum of a thousand talents and offering him in exchange for his amity and alliance all the countries on his side the river Euphrates, together with one of his daughters in marriage. These propositions he communicated to his friends, and when Parmenio told him that for his part, if he were Alexander, he should readily embrace them, so would I, said Alexander, if I were Parmenio. Accordingly, his answer to Darius was that if he would come and yield himself up into his power, he would treat him with all possible kindness. If not, he was resolved immediately to go himself and save him. But the death of Darius's wife made him soon after regret one part of this answer, and he showed evident marks of grief at being thus deprived of a further opportunity of exercising his clemency and good nature, which he manifested, however, as far as he could, by giving her a most sumptuous funeral. Among the attendants who waited in the queen's chamber and were, and were taken prisoners with the woman, there was one Tyrius who, getting out of the camp, fled away on horseback to Darius to inform him of his wife's death. He when he heard it beating his head and bursting into tears and lamentations said alas how great is the calamity of the persians 
Was it not enough that their king's consort and sister was a prisoner in her lifetime, but she must, now she is dead also, be but meanly and obscurely buried? O king, replied the attendant, as to her funeral lights or any respect or honor that should have been shown in them, you have not the least reason to accuse the ill fortune of your country. For to my knowledge, neither your queen Statira, when alive, nor your mother, nor children, wanted anything of their former happy condition, unless it were the light of your countenance, which I doubt not, but the Lord Oramastus will yet restore to its former glory. And after her decease, I assure you, she had not only all the old funeral ornaments, but was honored also with the tears of your very enemies. For Alexander is as gentle after victory as he is terrible in the field. Darius, breaking away from him into the other divisions of the tent, where his friends and courtiers were, lifted up his hands to heaven and uttered this prayer. Ye gods, said he, of my family and of my kingdom, if it be possible, I beseech you to restore the declining affairs of Persia, that I may leave them in as flourishing a condition as I found them, and I have it in my power to make a grateful return to Alexander for the kindness which in my adversity he has shown to those who are dearest to me. But if indeed the fatal time be come, which is to give a period to the Persian monarchy, if our ruin be a debt that must be paid to the divine jealousy and the vicissitude of things, then I beseech you grant that no other man but Alexander may sit upon the throne of Cyrus. Such is the narrative given by the greater number of the historians. But to return to Alexander, after he had reduced all Asia on this side, the Euphrates, he advanced towards Darius, who was coming down against him with a million of men. In his march, the very ridiculous passage happened. The servants who followed the camp, for sport's sake, divided themselves into two parties and named the commander of one of them Alexander and of the other Darius. At first they only pelted one another with clods of earth, but presently took to their feet and at last heated with their contention, they fought in good earnest with stones and clubs, so that they had much ado to part them. Till Alexander, upon hearing of it, ordered the two captains to decide the quarrel by single combat and armed him who bore his name himself, while Philotas did the same to him who represented Darius. The whole army were spectators of this encounter, willing from the event of it to derive an omen of their own future success. After they had fought stoutly a pretty long while, at last he who was called Alexander had the better and for a reward of his prowess had twelve villages given him with leave to wear the Persian dress, so we are told by Eratosthenes. But the great battle of all that was fought with Darius was not, as most writers tell us, at Arbela, but at Gogamila, which in their language signifies the camel's house, for as much as one of the ancient kings having escaped the pursuit of his enemies on a swift camel, in gratitude to his beast settled him at this place, with an allowance of certain villages and rents for his maintenance. It came to pass that in the months Biadromian, about the beginning of the Feast of Mysteries at Athens, there was an eclipse of the moon, the eleventh night after which the two armies being now in view of one another, Darius kept his men in arms, and by torchlight took a general review of them. 
But Alexander, while his soldiers slept, spent the night before his tent with his diviner Aristander, performing certain mysterious ceremonies and sacrificing to the god here. In the meanwhile, the oldest of his commanders, and chiefly Parmenio, when they beheld all the plain between Nephates and the Gordian mountains, shining with the lights and fires which were made by the barbarians, and heard the uncertain and confused sound of voices out of their camp, like the distant roaring of a vast ocean, were so amazed at the thoughts of such a multitude that after some conference among themselves, they concluded it an enterprise too difficult and hazardous for them to engage so numerous an enemy in the day, and therefore meeting the king as he came from sacrificing, he sought him to attack Darius by night, that the darkness might conceal the danger of the ensuing battle. To this he gave them the celebrated answer, I will not steal a victory, which though some at that time thought a boyish and inconsiderate speech, as if he played with danger, others, however, regarded as an evidence that he confided in his present condition and acted on a true judgment of the future not wishing to leave darius in case he were worsted the pretext of trying his fortune again which he might suppose himself to have if he could impute his overthrow to the disadvantage of the night as he did before the, to the mountains the narrow passages and the sea for while he had such numerous forces and large dominions still remaining, it was not any want of men or arms that could induce him to give up the war, but only the loss of all courage and hope upon the conviction of an undeniable and manifest defeat. After they were gone from him with this answer, he laid himself down in his tent and slept the rest of the night more soundly than was usual with him to the astonishment of the commanders who came to him early in the morning and were feigned themselves to give order that the soldiers should breakfast but at last time not giving them leave to wait any longer parmenio went to his bedside and called him twice or thrice by, by his name here he waked him and then asked him how it was possible when he was to fight the most important battle of all, he could sleep as soundly as if he were already victorious. And are we not so indeed, replied Alexander, smiling, since we are at last relieved from the trouble of wandering in pursuit of Darius through a wide and wasted country, hoping in vain that he would fight us. And not only before the battle, but in the height of the danger, he showed himself great and manifested the self-possession of a just foresight and confidence. For the battle for some time fluctuated and was dubious. The left wing, where Parmenio commanded, was so impetuously charged by the Bactrian horse that it was disordered and forced to give ground at the same time that Mazius had sent the detachment round about to fall upon those who guarded the baggage, which so disturbed Parmenio that he sent messengers to acquaint Alexander that the camp and baggage would be all lost unless he immediately relieved the rear by a considerable reinforcement drawn out of the front. This message being brought him just as he was giving the signal to those about him for the onset, he bade them tell Parmenio that he must have surely lost the use of his reason and had forgotten in his alarm that soldiers, if victorious, become masters of their enemy's baggage and if defeated instead of taking care of their wealth or uh, their slaves, have nothing more to do but to fight gallantly and die with honor. 
when he had said this he put on his helmet having the rest of his arms on before he came out of his tent which were a coat of the sicilian make girt close about him and over that a breastpiece of thickly kilted linen which was taken among other booty at the battle of Issus. the helmet which was made by theophilus though of iron was so well wrought and polished that it was as bright as the most refined silver to this was fitted a gorget of the same metal set with precious stones his sword which was the weapon he most used in fights was given him by the king of the Scythians, and was of an admirable temper and lightness the belt which he also wore in all engagements was of much richer workmanship than the rest of his armor it was a work of the ancient helicon and had been presented to him by the rhodians as a mark of their respect to him so long as he was engaged in drawing up his men or riding about to give orders or directions or to view them he spared bucephalus who was now growing old and made use of another horse but when he was actually to fight he sent for him again and as soon as he was mounted commenced the attack he made the longest address that day to the Thessalians and other Greeks, who answered him with loud shouts, desiring him to lead them on against the barbarians, upon which he shifted his javelin into his left hand, and with his right lifted up toward heaven, besought the gods, as Callisthenes tells us, that if he was of truth, the son of Jupiter, they would be pleased to assist and strengthen the Grecians. At the same time, the ogre Aristander, who had a white mantle about him and a crown of gold on his head, rode by and showed them an eagle that soared just over Alexander and directed his flight towards the enemy, which so animated the beholders that after mutual encouragements and exhortations, the horse charged at full speed and were followed in a mass by the whole phalanx of the foot. But before they could well come to blows with the first ranks, the barbarians shrunk back and were hotly pursued by Alexander, who drove those that fled before him into the middle of the battle, where Darius himself was in person, whom he saw from a distance over the foremost ranks, conspicuous in the midst of his life gods, a tall and fine-looking man drawn in a lofty chariot, defended by an abundance of the best horse who stood close in order about it ready to receive the enemy but alexander's approach was so terrible forcing those who gave back upon those who yet maintained their ground that he beat down and dispersed them almost all only a few of the bravest and valiantest opposed the pursuit who were slain in their king's presence falling in heaps upon one another and in the very pangs of this striving to catch hold of the horses darius now seeing all was lost that those who were placed in front of to defend him were broken and beat back upon him that he could not turn or disengage his chariot without great difficulty the wheels being clocked and entangled among the dead bodies which lay in such heaps as not only stopped but almost covered the horses and made them rear and grow so unruly that the frightened charioteer could govern them no longer in this extremity was glad to quit his chariot and his arms and mounting it is said upon a mare that had been taken from her foal betook himself to flight 
but he had not escaped so either, if Parmenio had not sent fresh messengers to Alexander to desire him to return and assist him against the considerable body of the enemy which had stood together and would not give ground. For indeed Parmenio is on all hands accused of having been sluggish and unserviceable in this battle. Whether age had impaired his courage or that, as Callisthenes says, he secretly disliked and envied Alexander's growing greatness. Alexander, though he was not a little vexed to be so recalled and hindered from pursuing his victory, yet concealed the true reason from his men, and causing a retreat to be sounded as if it were too late to continue the execution any longer, marched back towards the place of danger, and by the way met with the news of the enemy's total overthrow and flight. This battle being thus over, seemed to put a period to the Persian Empire, and Alexander, who was now proclaimed King of Asia, returned thanks to the gods in magnificent sacrifices, and rewarded his friends and followers with great sums of money and places and governments of provinces. He now set forth to seek Darius, expecting he should be put to the hazard of another battle, but Herphi was taken and secured by Pisos, upon which news he sent home the Thessalians and gave them a largest of two thousand talents over and above the pay that was due to them. This long and painful pursuit of Darius, for in eleven days he marched thirty-three hundred furlongs. Last his soldiers saw that most of them were ready to give it up, chiefly for want of water, while they were in this distress. It happened that some Macedonians, who had fetched water in skins upon their mules from a river they had found out, came about noon to the place where Alexander was, and seeing him almost choked with thirst, presently filled an helmet and offered it him. He asked them to whom they were carrying the water. They told him to their children, adding that if his life were but saved, it was no matter for them. They should be able well enough to repair that loss, though they all perished. Then he took the helmet into his hands, and looking round about when he saw all those who were near him stretching their heads out and looking earnestly after the drink, he returned it again with thanks without tasting a drop of it for said he if i alone should drink the rest will be out of heart the soldiers no sooner took notice of his temperance and magnanimity upon this occasion than they one and all cried out to him to lead them forward boldly and began weeping on their horses for whilst they had such a king they say they defied both weariness and thirst looked upon themselves to be little less than immortal but though they were all equally cheerful and willing, yet not above threescore horse were able, it is said to keep up and to fall in with Alexander upon the enemy's camp, where they rode over abundance of gold and silver that lay scattered about, and passing by a great many chariots full of women that wandered here and there for want of drivers, they endeavored to overtake the first and those that fled in hopes to meet with Darius among them. And at last, after much trouble, they found him lying in a chariot, wounded all over with darts just at the point of death. However, he desired they would give him some drink, and when he had drunk a little cold water, he told Polystratus, who gave it him, 
that it had become the last extremity of his ill fortune to receive benefits and not be able to return them but alexander said he whose kindness to my mother my wife and my children i hope the gods will recompense will doubtless thank you for your humanity to me tell him therefore in token of my acknowledgment i give him this right hand with which words he took hold of polystratus hand and died when alexander came up to them he showed manifest tokens of sorrow and taking up his own clock threw it upon the body to cover it and some time afterwards when Bessos was taken he ordered him to be torn in pieces in this manner they fastened him to a couple of trees which were bound down so as to meet and then being let loose with a great force returned to their places each of them carrying that part of the body along with it that was tied to it darius's body was laid in state and sent to his mother with pumps suitable to his quality his brother exaltress alexander received into the number of his intimate friends end of section 66 this recording is in the public domain recording by fanu jahangir